scripture reading this morning is taken from Mark 9, verses 2 through 9. Again, that's Mark 9, verses 2 through 9. You can be found on page 891 of the Pew Bibles. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart from themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on the earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus and themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one of the things that they had seen, till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Good morning. It is good to be together to worship God this morning. If you're a guest, we're thankful that you're here. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's a good weekend. Uh, holiday weekend for us here in America and because of that a lot of us will spend a little bit of extra time with our family and we're thankful for that. We're thankful for our physical families. Of course, we're thankful for our spiritual family and families have traditions. And one of the great traditions that we love here at Mountain Juliet as a family is we have something we call fall focus and some of you know it well and some of you are new to the family so we want to be sure and remind everybody to look forward to next Sunday. Sunday we will begin a study where all of our adult Bible classes will study the same curriculum for one quarter and then the sermons for the most part will complement the study that we'll have in Bible class. Because of that it's very important that everybody be in Bible class next Sunday so that we can get the most out of this fall focus. We'll be starting a new class called the Manifold class. It'll meet downstairs. Ken, Kim, Yop, and myself will be teaching that. Now, of course, anybody is welcome to the class, but we especially want those that have not yet found a Bible class home. We are starting this so that you'll have a place. And so we look forward to, to filling that room up with those that, that are looking for a, a, a home for their Bible class. And so be sure and, and set your, uh, well, you're already here. I was going to say set your alarm a little earlier. You just stick around afterwards. Uh, next week, but make sure that you make Bible class a priority. We need to learn as much about the will of God as we can. We need to grow close to God's people. Bible class is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to do that. You'll see on your bulletin our theme for our fall focus is long preserved. We'll be studying the beauty of the Word of God, that it truly is inspired, that it's been preserved throughout the ages, but how do you know it? How do you know that it's true? How do you know that, that it hasn't been tampered with and that it's no longer God's word? We'll be studying questions like that that people ask you at the workplace, people ask you that are your friends, and we will look into those deeply over this next quarter. And we appreciate Tim Martin and his leadership as our education minister in this particular area, and we look forward to this study together. Mountaintop experiences. It's hard to say we could overrate them, because we all grow tremendously by mountaintop experiences. But could it be that sometime with mountaintop experiences, we fail to appreciate the experiences that come in the valley? There's an 8,000er club. Some of you know what I'm talking about, and probably many do not. 
There are 14 peaks around the world that are taller than 8,000 meters. There's only 26 individuals that are part of the 8,000er club. That's 26,250 feet elevation. Only 26 people, not still alive today, only 26 people have ever climbed all 14 of those 8,000er mountains. And there's only one in America. Ed Vesters is the American that has done this. Now what's interesting about Ed is that he also has placed himself in a very unique class because not only is he one of the 26, but he's one of one handful of individuals that have done so, all 14 peaks, with no bottled oxygen. Doctors say that, that his lungs are far larger than the average man giving him the ability to do things simply because of the anatomy, his own anatomy, that most men could never do. But you know what else he's really known for? When you do any reading on this man, what people continually mention is his attitude. You see, he is a judicial climber. In other words, he is cautious in every way. How do you climb all 14 peaks and live to survive to tell it? Because a lot of people haven't. You see, there's some goals that you say, well, there's just people that have not set out to do it. But there's other goals so dangerous such as this that there have been many to set out to do it, but they haven't lived to accomplish it. He doesn't think twice about reaching almost to the very top and deciding to come down. He says the mountain decides when you climb not you. As a matter of fact, he has a rule that he lives by. And that rule is this. Reaching the top is optional. Coming down alive is mandatory. And his life proves it over and over. Annapurna is the second most famous mountains in the Himalayas. You know Mount Everest better, but any of the climbers respect the other far more. It's not as high, but it's far, far more dangerous to climb. As a matter of fact, the mortality rate is over 33%. You know the math. Three people set out to climb it, two reach the top, and one die. That is amazing, staggering odds. He's begun to climb it on two different occasions, only to reach far into the heights of the clouds and decide to come back. One time when he was climbing Mount Everest, he went within 300 feet, just a football field from the top, and the weather conditions changed, and he descended all the way to the bottom to climb it on another occasion. There is another one of the 8,000er mountains that he reached, and I can't hardly imagine this. He reached 20 feet to the top, and he turned back. You see, climbers say that there's nobody else like him. He really does believe reaching the top is optional, but coming down is mandatory. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that in, in spiritual speaking that none of us should even strive for a mountaintop experience. But you think how many times individuals have talked about a summer camp or a retreat or a campaign or some moment in time where they say, that was a mountaintop experience. And then you'll hear language like this. I wish it would never end. I wish we could stay on this mountain forever. 
And this morning, what I would like for us to do is look at one of the mountaintop experiences to learn a valuable lesson and that the mountain is only there to prepare us for the valleys. Elijah had his mountaintop experience at Mount Carmel and it made a powerful impact on the power of God. Moses had his mountaintop experience. He saw the glory of God and he brought down the Ten Commandments and the old law to give to the people. But yet the one that we've had read today is probably one of the most famous mountaintop experiences. It's one of those that sometimes I think we don't know exactly what to do with it. We call it the mountain of transfiguration. It's where Jesus entered into this mountain and he became something different, if you will. And what is it that you and I could do to enter into a mountain and become something different? If you have your Bibles open, I hope you do. We're looking at this out of various Gospels this morning. And because of all the detail that's given in the various Gospels, we can't pull out every aspect of the mountain of transfiguration, of the history and the beautiful story that it is. But I'd like for you to drop back, if you have your Bibles open, to Mark the 8th chapter. This is the setup for Mark the 9th chapter. Do you remember at the beginning of the year, I used the illustration of the, the paint roller? And how you just squeeze paint out and it comes out and you squeeze more paint and it comes out. And, and eventually you draw the conclusion that you know where all the paint that's sold in America, you thought it went on walls until you cleaned a paint roller and you realize it all goes down the drain with paint rollers. And, and we talked about how Jesus must have been frustrated with the apostles from time to time and even the disciples. Because so oftentimes he tried to get us to put our eyes upon spiritual things. And yet our human nature is we keep wanting to look at everything physical. And this is just an example that sets up the Mount of Transfiguration. Look again in 31, and, and you'll see one reason why I want us to drop back to this, because it really hits our theme verse for the year. But you see in 31, he was preparing them for the fact that he would suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. In 32, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And in 32, Jesus turned around and he looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Skip down, you see halfway through 34, this is what he calls us to do. Jesus said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Verse 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is Jesus doing here? He's trying to get us to lift our eyes and see that there is a spiritual way to live that trumps the physical. There is a heavenly way that trumps the earthly. There is an eternal way that trumps the, the temporal way. And so the way he says it at first is literally Peter's not getting it. He's thinking about an earthly kingdom. And he's thinking that he and, and those with him have left their fishing nets. They've left their family behind because they're going to be a part of this powerful earthly kingdom. And so now the talk is, Jesus, his purpose was to go to Jerusalem and to die. Peter's not thinking spiritual. He's thinking physical. So he stands between Jesus and Jerusalem. And Jesus says, there you go. It's time to wring more paint out again. You're trying to stop me from doing the very spiritual reason I'm on this earth. Get behind me, Satan. And then as he tells him to get behind him, he says, now, by the way, 
Anybody that wants to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself too. Take up the cross. The cross wasn't a glorious thing at that point in time. It was that of execution. Are you going to be willing to take up your cross and follow me? By the way, which do you want? Do you want the world and all that the world can offer, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? Do you want all that the world could offer? Put it in the balances. Put everything that the world could offer here and put your soul over here and it's going to slam down on the side of the soul. Now, you've lost your soul so that you could gain the world. Which is it that you want, Peter? Which is it that you want, disciples? Could it be that that's what they chewed on when we go to the ninth chapter in verse 2 when it begins, now after six days? Why? I don't know for sure, but why did he begin saying, now after six days? It's almost like the Holy Spirit who inspired this writing, it's almost like he wanted us to know they had to chew on that for six days. Jesus is really going to go and die. What kind of earthly kingdom is this going to be if he goes and dies? Jesus really wants us to deny ourselves. What kind of life is that going to be if we deny ourselves? Jesus really believes that a soul is more valuable than the whole world. Do I really want something like this? It may have been that all of this wasn't setting easy. And what these individuals needed was to get close to God again. And so when we read the rest of verse 2, we find out that Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Now imagine those four. That's, that's four good men. And he led them on a high mountain, apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. Matthew's account tells us that his face would shine as if it were the sun. What is this word transfigured? It's the word in the Greek that's metamorphosis. It is the idea of something changing. We understand that, that the caterpillar changes and becomes a butterfly. And so there was something about Jesus that literally changed. Now I want you to note, it wasn't something necessarily that Jesus did. Jesus didn't act like he was glorious. He didn't act like he was shining. I'd like for you to notice there in verse 3, his clothes didn't look like they were shining. They became shining. In other words, if I'm going to really appreciate this transfiguration, I need to understand that it's something that Jesus experienced. It's something that he became. I'd like for you to see two more times that this word is in the New Testament. Look over in Romans, the 12th chapter. In Romans, the 12th chapter and in verse 2. Notice where he says to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that is the word transfiguration, metamorphosis. Be transformed. And notice, it's by the renewing of your mind that you may prove was that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Now notice again. The transformation there that he's speaking about in Romans 12 and verse 2 is he, he's talking about something that we become. Notice again, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed. He didn't say do transformation. I am not saying to you there's nothing we do. I'm just trying to emphasize the sentence structure here that there's something important. 
When we truly have gone through a transformation, we have become something different. Jesus truly was transfigured. He didn't just stand in such a way that it looked like he was transfigured. He didn't just act transfigured. He was transfigured. We are not supposed to be separate from the world because we act different from the world. We are supposed to be separate from the world because we have become different from the world. We're transformed. Look at it again in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter is a beautiful chapter that shows us the glory of God through Jesus and Jesus giving the New Testament. In other words, there is a gloriousness that is supposed to happen in our life because we study and submit our life to the new covenant. I love at the end of verse five where he says, but our sufficiency is from God. You drop down in verse 13 and you realize the language is about, is likened to Moses when he had a unique opportunity under the old covenant. He was able to go up into the mountain and he was able to see the glorious of God, the glory of God, but none of the other children of Israel were allowed to do so. He was allowed to do something they did not have the opportunity to do. So now I'd like for you to notice how that sets different now that Christ has come and now that we have this new covenant. Look in verse 18. But we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now pause there. If we really studied the New Testament to truly see the glory of the Lord, what would happen to us? Our being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are being transformed. There is something happening to us. What do we do? We keep our eyes on the glory of the Lord. And what happens to us? We become glorious like the Lord. When someone is out living their life in the world, they become darkened like the world. Someone lives their life out focused upon the glory of the Lord, they become glorious like the Lord. And so we see a very powerful teaching here that we need to recognize the beauty of the opportunity we have to be transformed. In other words, I'd like for you to think about this point in this way. It's not just what we do on the mountain. It's what we become. Now, I want to go back in your mind's eye, and I don't know what it is for you, but most people that wear the name Christ, they talk about a mountaintop experience. Most people talk about, well, when I went to this place or when I did this particular thing, it was just a mountaintop experience. And I want you to pause right there and ask yourself, what did you become from that? The true mountaintop experiences change us for the good. We become people that are a reflection of God. And so when we see this Mount of Transfiguration in Mark the ninth chapter, we see Jesus being transfigured. We see something literally happening. But I'd like for you to notice the discussion that was taking place on that mountain. Look with me, if you will, as we go back to Mark, the ninth chapter, and drop down to verse 4. 
And notice, and Elijah appeared to them with Moses. Now our number has gone from four to six. And the increase is Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. That's amazing. These two men, of course, have been deceased for centuries. And yet they still are in existence. And they also still have their identity. They are still individuals. Moses is still Moses. He's recognized as the great lawgiver. Elijah was that mighty prophet. And they have that identity. It gives us a, an insight into living outside of the realm of time that we do not lose who we are. And, and yet when they were talking, we need to go over to Luke. I'd like for you to look with me real quick to Luke, the ninth chapter. And notice as they were talking, we have a little bit more insight. This very same occasion described by Luke. And see in Luke 9 and in verse 31. Now, while you're open there, you might want to glance back up. We might mention this later and you'll, know, you'll see where it is. Luke 9 and 28 tells us why they went up into the mountain. At the end of 28, they went up to the mountain to pray. You see, that may be the mountaintop experience that we need. It may be the mountaintop experience that we do not create often enough, but that's why they went up to the mountain. Now, but I'd like for you to notice what they talked about. See in verse 30, behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? They spoke of his decease that he was about to accomplish. The word decease is from Exodus. Literally, that's the Greek, the Exodus. So you know what that word means. The word decease means to depart. Listen, it's the Christian faith that made death and decease synonymous. They were not synonymous before the Christian faith. Because the Christian faith, we firmly believe that death is not the end. We believe that it is the exodus from this life into a departure to something that is wonderful. And so it is interesting when like, for example, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 22, where it speaks of Joseph's death and it uses the word death that, that we would think of the word death. But then it says that he was telling them that whenever he died and they left, the children of Israel left the Egyptian bondage, that he wanted his bones to be taken with them as they departed. And the word departed there is this same word for deceased. In other words, just to echo, to drive home the fact of how this word was used. You would think it's strange today if I said to you, now at the end of service today, we're going to have a closing prayer. And at that time, we want everyone to decease and go to your Bible classes. You'd say, he must have misspoke. No, technically, technically that's proper. We want everyone to exodus and, and, and go to your Bible classes. In other words, you're leaving here to go to something. Moses and Elijah could have come to this mountain to talk about a thousand different things. And what did they talk about? They talked about Jesus' decease, his exodus, that must be accomplished in Jerusalem. Now you want to talk about the difference in living spiritual and living earthly? On this next slide, I'd like for you to notice we have 
The verse we just read in Luke 9, I may have messed you up. I'm sorry, you're already on it. In Luke 9, look at the end of verse 31 where it says that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. And we've already read this back in Matthew 16 and 22, but I just want to see, let you see it on the same slide. When, when Peter spoke about this, about Jesus dying, you remember what he said? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Jesus goes and he has a mountaintop experience. He's changed into the glory, more of the glory of God. And there too, come back from the dead to visit with him, to strengthen him, to help him focus. And what do they talk about? They talk about what he's going to go to Jerusalem to accomplish. Spirituality at its height. And just before that, Peter, who's struggling with that spirituality, he says, oh, go to Jerusalem and die? We're not going to allow that to happen to you. Elijah and Moses say, we want to talk about you accomplishing that. Listen, I don't know how to say this in a way to impact your life, but friends, we need to give careful thought about how we view death. We're all passing through. There's one thing that's, uh, that's true. The mortality rate for this crowd is 100%. And so we are going to pass through. You know what? You know what mountains do for us? Mountains oftentimes, the mountains should help us get away and think about our decease. You say, that is morbid. No, it's not. Not if we understand the spiritual, and we're not living only for the physical. Do you recognize, do you recognize that you either have a mindset like Peter, what's well, just going to happen to the best of us? Or you could have a mindset like Jesus and like Moses and like Elijah. And you could have a mindset that says, there's some things I want to accomplish through death. What do you want to accomplish? I want to defeat Satan. By the grace of God, by the mercy of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I want to defeat Satan. You ask Paul in Philippians, the first chapter, how he looks at going ahead and dying. And he says he would rather do that than live. You listen to him right before his death in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And he speaks about the crown, the reward that is waiting on him. You know, when we're down in the valley and we're in the day-to-day -day living, it's easy to get bogged down. It's easy for our vision to be on earthly things. It's easy for us to get in that daily rut. And I'm just asking you this morning, do you need to spend some time on a mountaintop? Do you need to lift your eyes and realize you're not going to be on this earth that long? Not in the big picture. And are you ready to accomplish death? Are you going to be so entrenched in the world that death blindsides you and it happens to you? Let's skip down and let's come off the mountain. Mark the ninth chapter and verse nine. We're skipping a few slides there. Mark the ninth chapter and verse nine. Now as they came down from the mountain, let's skip down. In other words, they left the mountaintop and where do you leave? Where do you arrive when you leave a mountain? You arrive in a valley, so let's go down into the valley. Look at verse 17. They're down in the valley now. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who was a mute spirit. And wherever and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. Now you imagine this being your son. It throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. 
So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. The verses we'll skip over talk about it throwing him in water and throwing him in fire. But then finally, this is what Jesus does. Skip down to the end of verse 25. The end of verse 25, Jesus says to that spirit, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Now the people thought that this boy was dead, but Jesus lifts him up and he's alive. And then something happens in the next transaction or transition. 28, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. You see, if you drop back to Matthew the 10th chapter and verse one, where Jesus was sending out the 12 apostles, this is how verse one reads. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kindness, all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Do you realize Jesus had already given the disciples, the apostles, the power to cast out this demon. Note this. Jesus is up on the mountain praying. They're down in the valley trying to cast out a demon that they know they should have the power to do so, but they can't. Jesus comes off the mountain. Don't mistake him. Well, he's the son of God. He was fleshly also. He'd been up on the mountain praying. He'd been transfigured. He came off the mountain empowered. The apostles were frustrated. How is it that you were able to cast out that demon and we tried our best to help that boy and we couldn't help him at all? And Jesus says, if you're going to do our work, you're going to have to spend time praying and fasting. Listen, it doesn't matter how committed you say you are to Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of abilities God has given you. If you're going to come down in the valley and do the Lord's work and think that you're going to scrimp on your prayer, you're not going to be focused on your study. You're not thinking clearly. The mountain is a wonderful place to go, but what we must understand is that the mountain is not about staying on the mountain. It's about preparing for the valley. And I just want you to think about that. It disturbs me when we're in a setting that is so awesome and someone that should be spiritually mature is saying to a crowd, I wish we could just stay in this mountaintop experience forever. That's not biblical. It's not thinking clearly. Why does God give us mountaintop experiences? He gives us opportunities to draw close to Him. He gives us opportunities to be transformed. He gives us opportunities to be empowered because He has work to do in the valley. God doesn't want us staying on the mountaintops. And somebody says, I want you to leave this mountaintop and I just want you to have that same feeling day in and day out. That's not correct. You can't leave a mountaintop and come down to the valley and have the same feeling day out, day in and day out. But you know what you can do? 
You can pause and you can create another mountaintop experience and you can get rejuvenated again and you can come down in the valley and you can go back into the mountaintop again and get rejuvenated and you can come down in the valley. But we have got to realize our source of strength is not in serving. Dwell on that one this week. Our source of strength is from God. And serving is what we do with the power of God. And we're in a culture today that believes all we have to do is serve and we'll be close to God. And it just is not biblical. It's not true. We draw our strength from God. He empowers us to serve. Brethren, do you think they got it? We don't have time to develop this, but you can get it from just one quick reading. Look over in Acts 1. These same disciples that couldn't, they didn't have it right this time. Do you think they ever got it right? Look over in Acts 1. He gives them in Acts 1, Luke's account of the great commission back up in verse 8. You're going to be witness to me, of me. Jesus is saying you're going to be witness of me and you're going to begin in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and into the utter ends of the earth. And then in 9, 10, 11, now think about mountaintop experiences here. Then they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Don't let that one pass by. Somebody says, what did you do this morning? I saw Jesus Christ. He's resurrected? Yes, I saw him. Oh, not just that. I saw him resurrect and ascend. You're kidding me. What a morning that must have been. Oh, and the angel spoke to us. They told us that he's coming back just like he went. What a mountaintop day. Look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount. See, they'd been up on the mount. They returned from Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. Look in 13. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. And it lists the 11 apostles. Look at 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with the brothers. They got it. They got it. They created their own mountaintop experience. Let's go up in the upper room. Let's continue with one accord. Why? Because we don't know exactly what's coming, but Jesus has told us that something grand is coming and we're going to have a lot of service to do. So you know what we need to do? We've learned our lesson from the past. We need to be prepared. Okay, how are you going to prepare? We're going to gather in one accord and pray. Brethren, I fear. I fear that I don't understand the power of the mountain when we're in communion with God. I fear as a church family, we don't understand the power of God when we commune with Him in prayer. And oftentimes when we fail in service, instead of evaluating all the ins and outs of the service, maybe we better evaluate how much time have we spent on the mountain. What I learned today. Number one, if I haven't been changed, transformed, I probably haven't been to a mountain top. Number two, Mountaintops are for preparation and valleys are for service. Number three, if we all continued with one accord in prayer, we could probably create our own mountaintop experience. The valleys are difficult. The valleys have great challenges, a lot of work to do. Oftentimes in the valley, things aren't fair. There can be persecution in the valley. There can be disappointments. There can be great losses. The valley is not the place to rejuvenate. The mountaintop is for that, but it's not the place to live. We come down 
to do God's work. This morning, maybe you need a mountaintop. Maybe you need a time where you say, I need prayer. I need to devote my life to the Lord. I want to be baptized into Christ. If we can help you draw closer to God, we want to do that.